Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. Tonight I'm joined by Raphael Jukovin, Alistair McKenzie and Kaustu Pando. Welcome everyone. Okay, so we're going to start off by talking about the big match from the past weekend, which was Juventus-Lazio. Juventus picking up a 2-1 win. Uh, Raphael, what were your thoughts on the game last night um, with Juventus coming out victorious? I think it was quite a logical, logical conclusion to the game. I think um, Juventus did deserve the win. I think, although it was it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a shame for Lazio, but um, no, I, I was I was quite impressed with a few players uh, from Juventus. Actually, I thought obviously Dybala was electric. Like he was, Ronaldo might have got the two goals, but he was the standout player in the game. And I was impressed by, by Rabiot as well. I think he's he's settling in quite well uh, towards the end, this end of the season. He he did well to bring the ball forward a few times. He he did well in midfield. So I think I think I think Juventus deservedly came out on top. Yeah. How about you, <clears throat> Alistair? From your point of view, how did you see the game? Obviously, Lazio have really struggled from the since the restart. Um, did you see any sort of improvements last night? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I agree with pretty much all those points. Uh, from a Lazio's standpoint, it was actually um, pretty encouraging. I mean, I think most of the Lazio came away feeling quite good about the game, which probably tells you more about how things have been since the break than about anything else, to be honest. But the, the performance in comparison to what's come before in recent weeks was a hell of a lot better. And that's even amplified a lot by the fact that there were so many injuries. Um, the team was a bit of a joke, to be honest. Gavin Anderson starting for the first time in Serie A. Two teenagers coming off the bench to make their Serie A debuts. Eight injuries, including five guys who'd be in the starting eleven if they were fit. So it's not an excuse, but it's uh, it, with all that in mind, it was quite an encouraging performance. For me, the most encouraging thing of all was Chiro Immobile because he has been the least informed player of all um, in the slump for Lazio since the restart. And that was the best game he's had by an absolute mile. Um, so hopefully it's a turning point for them. It's strange to say a defeat can be a turning point, but I think that's how they'll see it given what's coming up until now. Yeah, you talked about those injuries. There were about six or seven first-team players out yesterday, you know, who would actually be in the starting 11 normally. What, what do, you, do you think it's just very unlucky or do you put a little bit of blame on Inzaghi for perhaps not rotating the squad enough? I think it's both. Um, I think it's very unlucky. You know, there's a couple, for example, that you, you can't really blame anything but bad luck. Lucas Leiva's surgery didn't work out, so now he's out for the rest of the season needs to go under the knife again. You know, Joaquin Correa's injury was can really be avoided. I think that it, it's not a coincidence there are so many injuries being picked up and a lot of blame has been pointed at the fitness coach and the preparation that went into getting them back on the pitch. But yeah, I think for me, it's it's been a case where we've been arguing for a while that, uh, that Inzaghi should be rotating the team more than he has been because the guys he's got who have been half fit Milinkovic Savic, Francesco Acerbi, Ciro Immobile, Luis Alberto. He's still playing them every week and they've all been out of form and they're not going to get back into form when they can barely run. Um, so last night he was left with no choice really but to actually play some of the guys he's been overlooking. 
because there have been injury problems, but it's not just been a case of he doesn't have any other options. He has actually had a lot of options in his squad who he hasn't used. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's bad luck. I think he could have rotated better, but, um, yeah, you know, there's not much you can do when your squad is as thin as this. Yeah. And so, obviously, after last night's result, Juventus have an eight-point lead. Uh, at the time of recording, Atalanta have actually just beaten Bologna, so they've narrowed that gap, but they have played a game more. So, uh, Kalstu, from your point of view, do you think another, another title for Juventus, their ninth in a row, is that enough to keep Sari in the job for another year? Or could he still be replaced in the summer if they don't go further in the Champions League, do you think? I think, ideally, Sari should stay even if Juventus don't win the title. I think that's probably me being a big Sari fan. That's probably why I'm saying it. But if Juventus still, say, slip up from where they are currently, I would really favour Sari. But I think the main issue for him is that the Juventus board didn't really look at the idea of helping him build the team in his mould around, let's say, in the summer of 2019. Like, the, the stuff that, that's happening for Barcelona right now, they just wanted to make some capital profits by maybe signing players and selling off players like Pjanic, Douglas Costa, Emre Can, Rugani, Higuain, Bernadeschi to just get the money to maybe sign someone like Mauro Icardi. It just shows that they uh, just really didn't, they weren't just keen on supporting Sari as much as they were interested in making those capital profits to sign the players that they had pre-decided maybe. But I thought Sari is just, I think Sari is sort of manager who deserves that sort of solid transfer window in which he gets the players that he really needs. He, when he gets those sort of players, he could really make his his different and complex system work. And if he gets them to the title, I think he will get that window. And then from there, they can uh, Juventus can really kick on and jump into uh, another game. Yeah, it seems like it, it will be interesting because the, the rumours of Mauricio Pochettino being linked with Juventus won't go away. What, what are your thoughts, Raphael? Do you think they should stick with Sari? There has been you know, times in the past when in his second and third seasons, he's really got his pattern of play across. So do you think it could benefit Juventus in the long term if they do stick with him? Yeah, I think they, they should go. They should keep on keep a hold of him because I think... It, you can see that the signs are that they are improving in this in, at the end of the season now. He's managed to get, he's managed to fix a lot of the problems that there were uh, at the start of uh, when when we came back from the break, because there were a lot. It, the attack seemed a bit dysfunctional. There wasn't a lot of connection between the defence and the attack when they like, when we came back from the break. I mean, we saw we saw that in the Coppa Italia games. It was a bit, it was a bit all over the place. So. He's definitely sort of solved those issues, and I think I think they should give him another year because he will he will have another year with with his sort of with his um sort of to put his uh, sort of imprint on the team in a way. And I think starting off starting off a new with Pochettino, you know, starting for new project from scratch, it just isn't really what they should be going for right now, especially. Especially when there were rumours actually that um, that Ronaldo wasn't too keen on having Pochettino as manager, so you have to wonder would that be a good move? Yeah, so it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that one. That may be one of the big things 
surrounding Juventus this summer. So then we'll, we'll look at um, a couple of uh, teams that have been in the title race, but are no longer really in it. Atalanta and Inter both drew this weekend to lose a bit more ground. Uh, that now seems to be one of the bigger battles, actually, as to who will finish second. What, what are your thoughts, Alistair, in, in compared to where where those teams are at in comparison to Lazio? Do you see them all on a similar level, ju- just a little bit behind Juventus for now? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that Juve uh, have got by far the strongest squad in the league. I agree. I think if Sari can win the league so comfortably with his team playing as badly as this, then it's not really a good sign for Serie A. But I think that these uh, teams, you know, Lazio and Atalanta, can they challenge long-term Juve? I don't think so. But Inter are probably in the better position too, considering the resources they've got at their disposal. I was actually I was at the game on Sunday night, the Roma game against Inter, and I was really, really unimpressed with them. Um, I think that they've got a hell of a lot of talent in that team, but it just isn't isn't really being stitched together in a way that seems to make an awful lot of sense to me. They're very lucky to take a point from that game, relying on some slapstick comedy routine from Spinazzola at the end to give away the penalty. But, I mean, for me, when it comes to the second-place race, if we're going to call it that to try and inject yeah. some excitement to the end of this season um, I think Atalanta are in the strongest position I mean that's a team that can't can't stop winning you know it's, it reminds me of Lazio earlier this season where they've just forgotten how to lose games and even now where you might say they're in a bit of a, a drought where they've only scored two goals in two games which for their standards isn't great but uh, still taking four points from those two games I think that Lazio have got the easiest run in of the four, um, the four remaining matches. But the way they've been playing recently, I can't really see them making up that gap. So for me, I think Atalanta are probably going to end up finishing as runners up this year. Yeah, it does seem that could be quite tough. As, as you say, Lazio do have the easiest games. Atalanta still have both Milan clubs to play in their final three matches. Uh, Carl Stoop, who do, who do you expect to finish in the um? in second place in the end. And, and of those three teams that are battling for a second, who do you expect to maybe go on to challenge Juventus next year? I think whoever challenges Juventus to the brink probably depends on, a lot of it depends on Juventus themselves because if Juventus get their squad construction right, which I think they sort of have when it comes to sorting out their midfield, I think when Sadi gets their team, it will, other teams will probably find it pretty difficult to beat them, but I see Conte getting the sort of player he, players he needs in the summer. I see them getting Marash Kumbula and Sandro Tonali, and they are the sort of players who really know how to play that 3-5-2 system pretty well, especially in a, in a Conte system. And Inter probably need another striker, maybe bring in Fernando Lorente or maybe try signing Olivier Giroud once again, because there have been times when they when they probably lacked, lacked a plan B uh, in the forward positions. and. Ashraf Hakimi coming in probably is a huge uh, is a huge thing for them. It's probably again a step towards completing the whole uh, jigsaw that they have, and, and Hakimi just solves all of their uh, wing back issues that they've often had this season with all the injuries and all the transfer movements with Valentino Rosario going out and all about uh, Victor Moses and Ashley Young coming in. So there was a lot of instability in that department. I think Hakimi will probably. Uh, get the issue sorted out, and but I think the issue for Inter will be that uh, it all comes down 
to maybe contain himself because there have been times when he's made really late or weird substitutions, especially in the Champions League in that uh, uh, group stage game against Dortmund, which they lost 3-2 despite being 2-0 up. So there have been games in which they've sort of struggled to manage games and they've not managed to dig out those sort of games. But as for Atlanta, I think the purpose for them uh, next season should be to genuinely challenge for the title because uh, last season they were meant to be one of those contenders for the top four. This season was meant to be when they cement themselves in the top four and then next season will be the next stage in the process where they will they really seriously challenge for the title. But if they really want to do that, I think they just need to keep hold of all their key players because, because they've come to a point where people are taking notice of what Atlanta are doing. They're looking at the project that, that, that Gasparini is developing there and people are seeing the sort of good players that they, that they have. That's probably why Chelsea have been linked with Rob Gosens and Juventus have been linked with uh, Duan Zapata. So in that sense, I think keeping their key players with them will be big for them because as much as I love Atlanta, they're slowly just reaching a point where they're attracting, attracting attention and people are looking at them. And as much as uh, they are unique in terms of Gasparini's style and the way they are experts at, at replacing the players in their brilliant recruitment, I think losing key players at this point will be probably be the biggest downer for them and they can't let that happen at this point. Yeah, I mean, they, they do seem to have had a sort of formula in the last three or four years where they do let a couple of players go, but they have been able to force very good I've been able to find very good replacements for them. Um, so we'll have to see if they can continue to do that. It does seem next year may have to be the year for them with Papu Gomez and Ilicic both well into their 30s now. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Just dropping slightly further down the division now, and we've got the Europa League places do seem to be wrapped up as well. Um, an eight-point gap between seventh and eighth at the time of recording. AC Milan... The informed team, along with Atalanta right now, picked up a 5-1 win at the moment uh, on the weekend against Bologna. Um, what did you make of that, Raphael? Um, slightly surprised by how dominant they were or just another stepping stone with for Pioli's team playing some outstanding football right now? No, I think it makes sense given the form that they're in. They have been, they have been putting a lot of four or five goal performances in. And I think it, just, it does show... Just how far how far Pioli has taken this team. He's really he's gotten the most out of a lot of players who were really just out of completely out of form at the turn of the year, like Rebic, for example. And I think he's definitely what he's doing right now is leaving a very good base for them because Ragnik is going to come in. He is going to bring in his own project. But at the same time, you look at you look at the, that midfield duo Ben Nasser and Kessia, for example. That will two two young players that will that will serve them well in the future. So I think, I think even even if Bioli is is leaving, I think I, I mean I'm 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 really impressed with what he's what he's done with this this Milan team. Yeah, I think the biggest compliment is that actually looking through that team, I think pretty much every player has improved since he came in. If you look, you know, Teo Hernandez has really taken off this season. Benacer and, Ken- and Kessier in the middle of the park, as you say. And then the likes of Rebic, Samu Castilejo before he got injured. Some really impressive performances. We've spoken about this the past few weeks. Um, do you think, Alistair, that 
Pioli will definitely leave this summer because it's it seen that Ranić coming in has been inevitable. But there's also been talk in the last week or so that Milan aren't too happy about paying his compensation package. So is there a chance that Pioli stays on, do you think? Well, I mean, there's certainly um, a lot of pressure on the club from certain quarters, from a big section of the fan base to, to keep him on. And you have to say you're not surprised. I mean, given the transformation you've just been talking about in this team and the way that they're playing and the way the form they've been in in, in this calendar year, which would have them in the top four, uh, you can understand why they might be under pressure to make that permanent. Obviously, Ranić has been working behind the scenes in Germany recently, and there is the possibility I've seen um, of him taking on a similar kind of behind-the-scenes role at Milan. Whether or not he'll actually want to accept such a role is another question, I suppose. But I mean, it, it's <laughs> it, it's it's a strange one because it seems like every single summer there's a year zero for for Milan. Uh, it seems like they're pressing the reset button every opportunity they get, and it seems like this time, uh, if they're choosing to press the reset button again, they're doing it at the wrong time because this is a really young team. They're always going to need time to find their feet to get to the point where their confidence is built up that they can play this kind of football. Pioli's now got them there. Um, I do have a few reservations about Pioli as a coach because he does tend to go on these kind of runs. Um, he does play very nice football with his teams. He did the same thing at Lazio and then ran out of ideas and got sacked. He had a great run at Fiorentina, ended up getting sacked. It, so I do wonder if it is just another purple patch of his career and if people lose patience again with him or if it's more long term. But there's no arguing the job he's done because he's restored the confidence to this team. He's got everybody playing in the right positions, which helps. And they're playing some great football. So I I think that it's in their best interest to try and keep him on, to be honest. Yeah, it could well have. I I wouldn't be too surprised if he did get kept on. And so also this weekend, obviously, as we touched on earlier, Roma got a point against Inter, perhaps slightly unfortunate not to win that. Napoli beat Udinese. Um, of those three teams, Kostu, who do you who do you feel is in the best position to break into the top four? And could he, could any of those teams even push higher than the top four? You know, maybe top two, top three, perhaps even push Juventus next year. For me, that team's got to be Napoli right now because I think Milan will probably take maybe a season or maybe a season and a half to get more into the Iranian team that that will probably play a pretty complex brand of football because his teams at back at Derby Leipzig used to be pretty dynamic positionally. He used to press high up the pitch. They have pretty smart players who have actually have a pretty good IQ uh, factually. So that that is sort of system which takes a while to uh, gel in. And as far as Roma are concerned, I really like what Paulo Fonseca is trying there, but they have a really good spine of players in there in probably just about every department. But I also worry about their finances because they've never really proven to spend as much as maybe Napoli have. They don't really do uh, big deals because if you look at, they were probably looking at Toby Alderweireld from Spurs last summer, but even when he had about, say, a 25 million release clause, they couldn't afford him. They, they told him that they can probably pay around 18 million, which just shows that financial capabilities even when even for Chris Walling they are hesitating to be paid say 18 million they can't pay they can't match Man United's uh, asking price for him 
but Napoli are uh, just trying to make sure that they are selling some of their best players and are seemingly replacing them pretty well because they signed Amir Rahmani from Verona in January and come in uh, next, uh, for next season. I believe they will sign Gabriel from Lille as well. And Victor Simon is, of course, coming in from uh, Lille, which is a really good deal. And I think he will prove to be an upgrade on uh, Arik Milik. And just because he seems like a pretty gritty striker who suits the way Rino Gattuso likes the game to be played. He's much more complete and he's got a higher work rate than Milik. And he's someone that uh, Gattuso will surely love. And they are just building this spine of a team that uh, just suits uh, Gattuso because they signed both uh, Stanislav Lobotka and Diego Deme in January. And they were brilliant deals and it shows that... Uh, uh, so clearly knows what he's doing and he's fixing the right issues in there and they've clearly got an identity as well. They've, of course, uh, got having Lozano yet to be unleashed. He's had these little spells here and there, first early in the season and then more recently where he's looked pretty promising. So they have a system in place. They are much more stable financially and I think signs are pretty good for them. But I just see don't really see them challenging for the title or maybe going from maybe as far as Inter or Atlanta. They'll probably take a season more to go to get that far. Yeah, it will, it will be difficult for them. It looks like they're going to finish, you know, fifth, sixth or seventh. So to, to jump right back into the title race should be a difficult challenge. Okay, we're going to go right down to the bottom of the table now. Uh, so Spall and Brescia pretty much gone. That should be confirmed. Maybe even midweek, but certainly by the weekend. Um, but just above them, then we have Genoa and Lecce, who played each other on the weekend. Genoa won. Now a four-point gap between those two with four to play. Do you think that's enough, Raphael, or could Lecce still claw that gap back? I don't think it's done dusted. Um, I still think Lecce, if they beat Russia um, later on, later on this week, then I think they've still got a chance. But because um. I think it's they're not necessarily in the position they're in because they've played badly. It's a lot of it has been down to down to luck in individual games, some individual individual errors really. I mean Gabriel's own own goal in the um in the last in the last game against Genoa was quite unlucky and that basically decided the whole the whole game. So I wouldn't say Genoa are out of the woods yet, especially when you look at the fixtures they have got left. So I would say, I'd say the, the relegation scrap is sort of is still on. I'd say Udinese though are out are, are pretty much out of the woods because they have got they have got Rodrigo de Pal who is doing quite well. He's he's keeping up his form that that's been that's been going on throughout the whole season really. So I think they've I think it is going to be between Genoa and Lecce. Yeah, it does seem that way. As we said, Udinese are currently uh, seven points clear of um, the relegation zone with four to play, so probably just have enough. What are your thoughts, Alistair? Do you think um, do you think Lecce will go down, or could they claw it back? Given that they do still have Brescia and Udinese to play, so if they could pick up a couple of results, they may still get themselves out of trouble. What What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, this is one for me. It's kind of heart and head. I mean. <laughs> My head says they are going down because, like Raphael mentioned, they've been one of the unluckiest teams in the league this year. 
Um, but my heart really wants them in the league. I really like this Lecce team. I like the fearless approach they've had to promotion. I like Fabio Liverani as a coach. Um, I like having a Pugliese team in Serie A, uh, the diversity it brings to the league. And I also think that Genoa, if anything, would probably benefit from going down because scrapping and just staying up every year is not doing anything for the development of that club. So, yeah, I'd like to see it happen, but I really think they had to get something from that game. Um, like Raphael mentioned, the, the Gabriel on goal was just painful to watch. Um, I wrote on Twitter at the time that it's just no team deserves to get relegated for a goal like that, but I feel like it might be. Um, they do have a really quite nice run-in, though. Um, they've, yeah, I think they've, they've got to beat Brescia at home. Uh, which is their next game. Then they've got Bologna, Udinese and Parma. Uh, Parma are bombing at the moment as well, and that's a home game as well. So the only way I can possibly see this happening is if they win their two home games and just rely on Genoa losing their remaining matches, which is possible because I think they've after the derby, they've got uh, still to play Inter and uh, Sassuolo and Verona. So yeah, it's a much harder run that Genoa have got, but I think they've just left themselves with too much to do, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I'd like Lecce to stay up. They are certainly a very entertaining side. And uh, as you say, Genoa have avoided relegation by the skin of their teeth for the last couple of years. So they're certainly putting their fans through the mire. Okay, so just a couple of other results from the weekend then. Sampdoria came back from 2-0 down to beat Parma. Kalstube, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on Ranieri. Obviously, he came in after about 10 games of the season. Sampdoria had, had an awful start. He's ended up getting them away from the relegation zone with ease. Uh, how good a job do you think he's done this season? I think Claudio Ranieri was probably brought in to do the sort of job that he's doing right now, and he's done that job pretty well. And it isn't exactly overly, say, spectacular like maybe Lecce would want it to be, but it's just pretty effective, and players know exactly what they're doing. It's miles different from how things used to be under Marco Giampaolo last two or three seasons. So it was bound to maybe just take a bit of time for them to play maybe an exactly opposite way of, of football. They lost important players like Joachim Anderson and Lucas Torreira and Dennis Pratt. So it was it was going to take a bit of time for them to adjust adjust to a new playing style and get used to not playing with as important players as the ones that they lost to the last two summers. But with time, they've, they've just got this gritty mentality. And post-lockdown, they've been actually pretty good. I think they've been one of the best sides post-lockdown. They've scored three goals so many times uh, in the seven or eight games that they've played. And I think the fixture list has also been a bit kind to them. But I think Federico Bonazzoli has been pretty good in recent weeks. It's just good to see him scoring goals uh, regular, regularly for once, at least uh, in the league. Yeah, I think so. So obviously, good stuff for Sampdoria. They're now up to 13th at the at the time of recording um the team who they beat on the weekend are now a place behind them actually Palmer. they've lost six of their last seven Raphael, do you is this a concern for you because they also finished last season really poorly they were battling for europa league much of this year so is this sort of recurring trend an issue for them or, or do you think maybe they've just taken their foot off the gas now that they realize they couldn't make european football 
Yeah, I think the fact that European football is out of reach has has contributed a lot to that. Um, I think I wouldn't I wouldn't really go as far as saying it, it is a trend, though. I, I would just say it is just late season, just sort of form tailing off because of the fact that the matches are coming thick and fast, and there's not much to play for. There's not a lot of motivation, um, especially since Kuluszewski is leaving. Um, is leaving at the end of the season. That will be um, that will be sort of a, a thing to look out for in terms of how they replace him because he is a key member of that team. Yeah, I mean, they, him and Jovino on either wing, they've really relied on those two on the counter this season. Um, yeah, I mean, last season, I believe they only stayed up. They only guaranteed survival on the penultimate day. So this year, it's been nothing like that. But yeah... Slightly concerning that they have dropped so far down from sort of eighth place for most of the season down to 14. One team who's now actually on the up is Fiorentina, a five-match unbeaten streak. Are you starting to finally see positive signs with them, Alistair? Or do you think it's been a season of underachievement and the pressure's off and they're just starting to play well for that reason? I wouldn't say the pressure's been off because, um, look, coming back in after the break, they really weren't that far out of the relegation zone. It's only been in the last kind of two or three matches that they've really kind of pulled away. So uh, it's it's not been that they've been able to just say we're cruising now towards the end of the season. Um, look, again, like Milan, is, it's a young team and uh, I, I think that they've managed to find some confidence and you should never underestimate how important that is. And with this Fiorentina team, it, it, they're a bit of an enigma to me because there's so much ability in there, really, and so much potential in there. But it's obviously always been about finding the right coach to unlock that. And they've really struggled in that regard. Um, I'm not necessarily convinced that Beppe Iacchini is going to be that guy. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens there next season because they've, for me, got the best midfielder in Serie A coming in in Sofian Amrabat. And that could be a bit of a game changer of a of a signing because he's the kind of guy who can absolutely control the tempo of a match, but also help help you defensively a lot and take a lot of pressure off with the way he reads the game, with the interceptions he makes, with the way he wins the ball back. And sometimes this Fiorentina team, I think, has been a bit guilty of lacking a bit of spine. And I think he can help bring that. I think it's also helping them having Frank Ribery fit again. Um, the goal he scored against Lazio was absolutely amazing, but... He's, he's just a great influence, like Zlatan at Milan. Having that guy who's seen it all before to kind of mentor a team like that is, is very helpful. So, yeah, a very interesting team. But um, I think that their fans, given the ability and the signings they've made um, in that squad, I think they would have expected better than having to wait until the final few weeks to, to dodge relegation again. Um, I think their, their aspirations should be and will be a lot higher than that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think obviously, last season, they only avoided relegation on the final day. That was a major shock, really. This year, it hasn't been as close as that. But again, there is, as you say, so much talent in that squad. So let's see if they can finally start to push up the league again next year. OK, so looking ahead to the coming week, um, once again, we've got a midweek round followed by a weekend round. Uh, Kalstub, uh, what what games stand out for you in the coming week that you're really looking forward to? I'm probably looking forward to the Atlanta-Milan game because last time they faced, we all know what happened and 
it's 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 probably just the opposite now because even though Atlanta won uh, today and uh, they sort of did all right in that uh, draw against Verona, they've not exactly been at their flying best because we know how Atlanta usually play. They uh, they just commit every single player into that attack, make sure that they get overloads on those in those wide areas. But teams have sort of made sure that they have kept the check in that regard. Uh, I think uh, Verona did pretty well in that regard. And I think Milan, uh, the sort of form that they are currently having, I think they can pretty much beat uh, any team in the Serie A right now. They're just full of confidence. And it's just miles apart from how things were uh, when they lost 5-0. It was a pretty depressing match for probably every single uh, football romantic who wants Milan to succeed. It was a pretty depressing watch, even though I'm not a Milan fan, it was, uh, I didn't really like it, even though I love Atlanta, but I didn't really feel well. But this game could be one which uh, which is pretty important for Atlanta in a lot of ways, but uh, Milan should have redemption on their minds. Yeah, I think that that does that game does stand out, obviously, on Friday night, that match. Is Atalanta going for 100 goals in the league, uh, first team to do that in about 70 years, I believe. So it would be amazing if they could pull that off in the final few games. Okay, so last section of the evening, we're going to do some transfer talk. And I'm going to come to Alistair first, looking at Lazio's business this summer. Um, do you think there's any chance that players such as Milinkovic, Savic or Immobile could be tempted away? And, and what sort of areas in that squad do you feel Lazio need to strengthen if they're to push on again next year? Uh, well, the first part of that question, Immobile, no. Uh, he's going to stay and has no intention of leaving. Milinko um, Savic, we have rumours about every single summer. Um, but the reality is that he's going to cost a lot of money. Lotito, when he sets the price, he means it. And when you look around the, the map of European football right now, especially in the coronavirus era, and think about who's going to be able to splash out 80 million euros or so on a midfielder like Milinkovic Savic, who, don't forget, is still untested at Champions League level. Uh, I think that could work to Lazio's advantage. I mean, they're, they're quite honest about it. Iglitare was talking to the press yesterday and said that uh, basically if an offer comes in, they'll sit down with the player and they'll talk about it. But um, Milinkovic Savic has always been very committed to Lazio. He's never agitated to leave. He's just bought a new house in Rome a couple of months ago. He loves being at the club. And he's waited to play in the Champions League with this club. Now it looks like he's going to get that chance. So it wouldn't really make an awful lot of sense for me for him to walk out at this point. But this club needs to invest a hell of a lot. Um, in answer to the second question, I think we've seen that um, in pretty bleak uh, evidence in the last few weeks. In terms of the squad depth of this team, the starting 11 is very strong. But if they're going to be in the Champions League again, they're going to need better options from the bench. They're going to need better injury cover. They need a new centre-back, at least one. They need desperately some left wing-back cover because that is a real problem position. They need a new central midfielder. They need someone who can help out Alberto with the creative aspects of the midfield. They desperately need a Vice Immobile, which they've been waiting three years to sign and still haven't. So, I mean, there's very few player positions left for me to say, really. But 
honestly, I think that a lot of work needs to be done. It's also a bit of an aging squad. Um, they have already brought in uh, Escalante from Ibar, who's going to help out with Lu- help out Lucas Leiva to cover that central midfield role. Um, he's coming in on a free transfer. But uh, yeah, they're going to need some fresh blood. And by the evidence of what we've seen with Inzaghi's rotation or lack of in the last few weeks, he doesn't trust the squad he's got. He doesn't think it's good enough. And he did say yesterday after the Juventus game that this team needs depth, that we need more players for the Champions League. So Lazio don't spend big, but I think if they're ever going to, this is the summer to do it. Yeah, I think, uh, as you said, the, the, the main ones that I, I see are they do need some more centre-backs to help out a Cherby. Obviously, this season it's largely been a Cherby, Stefan Radu, who is now well into his 30s, and then one of... Patrick and Luis Felipe. Um, the, we, uh, Kaustub mentioned earlier, Marash Kambula uh, linked with Inter, but he's also been heavily linked with Lazio. Do you think he's the type of player that could really help Lazio out? A, a very young defender who's impressed at Hellas Verona this year. Yeah, he'd be brilliant. And um, yeah, the club have, uh, have, have got an agreement, well, not an agreement, but they've put an offer on the table and the presidents have met Setti and uh, Lotito. Uh, this is a guy who Tare knows extremely well. They're both from Alba- Albania, obviously, and Tare has been tracking him for a long time before his breakout season this year. I think that they've done quite a good job of tempting Kumbula by the idea of being able to start regularly in this team, being able to get Champions League football. And he is the perfect fit for this team as well because he's played in a similar system at Verona. He's versatile enough that he can play across this back three, which is something Lazio don't have a lot of in terms of that versatility in defence. But at the same time, um, I think Lazio are quite honest about what we've got here. And in reality, that's a guy who's completely unproven, really. He's only had one season having a very impressive Serie A season. But they value him at 20 million euros and a player exchange. And that's likely to be Andre Anderson. And they've left it at that. I don't think they're um, going to be able to up that offer they're going to be willing to up that offer so it's going to be really up to Verona whether or not to accept it by the sounds of things yeah it, it will be an interesting summer for Lazio see if they can kick on from what they've achieved this season I now want to uh, touch on Milan um, Raphael um, they wrapped up the permanent signing of Simon Kier last week uh, following his impressive performances and it now seems the club are ready to negotiate a permanent deal for Antti Rebic, who has had an outstanding second half of the season. Um, what do you make of their business? Do you think it's a formality that Rebic will stay there permanently? And uh, do you think it's a good sign-in for them to get Kier um, on a long-term deal? Yeah, I definitely think Kier is a... It seems like a no-brainer, really. He's formed a really good partnership with, with Romagnoli in the, um, the defence that's which has sort of been a bit of a, a bedrock for their good form. So I think that's definitely a good signing on a relatively cheap fee. And similarly with Rebic, really, I mean, it feels like he's sort of, when you look at the whole of his career, he's finally found a, a club where he is successfully just scoring goals consistently. So I think I think they are two very very shrewd, very clever signings from Milan, and in general, it does show sort of the um, the transfer policy that um, that Maldini has had at, at Milan because 
I think overall, when you look at his um, his tenure as director of sport, it has been just making very, very, very clever signings. Um, I think Salamakas is another example of that. He came in on loan. He's impressed. He's, he's had a decent uh, second half of the season, and he managed to get him for only six six million six million euros. So, I think even if obviously if Rangnick comes in, he is going to be he's going to take over that aspect of the club and it is going to probably change in terms of the direction of the transfer projects. I think those two signings are a, are a good start. Yeah, certainly. I think, I think a lot of people have greeted the Kier move in particular with, um, with a lot of happiness. Obviously, it seems Milan have finally found a partner for Romagnoli. That, that's been an issue in recent seasons. Um, I'm, looking, I'm just going to touch on Atalanta. We were talking about how they do have a tendency to lose a couple of important players every year. And the main one this season who's linked with a move away is Robin Gossens. Uh, it seems Chelsea are stepping up their interest in him with perhaps Ben Chilwell being a little too expensive. Do you think he would suit Chelsea? Um, Cal Stoom having been excellent at Atalanta in a wing-back role this year, can he transfer that to being a left-back and a wing-back for Chelsea? Because they do switch between a three at the back and a four at the back. I think attacking-wise, he suits him a lot because the sort of full-backs that Chelsea have been linked with, Ben Chilwell, Alex Telles, and even uh, Nicolas Taliafico, they're all attacking full-backs, but only Taliafico is the one that, that is who's actually a good defender. But Guzan says just brilliant going forward and, and Atlanta brought the best out of him in that regard. He doesn't have to defend at all and in that sense he's a system-based player and it's no real disrespect to him but he just relies a lot on the overloads that Atalanta make on that left side of the pitch with other players that uh, move up the pitch to help him out and increase his numbers because uh, whenever the centre-back on that side pushes up, be it whoever it is, be it Palomino, Jim Shitty or Rafael Deloy, and then they've got Remo Floyer, Remo Freuler coming into that left side channel, and then Papu Gomez is there as well. So they four players playing on that left side really helps the left back increase his number, especially in an attacking system. But Chelsea aren't quite using a system like that. They usually use a four-two-three-one or four-three-three. They did use a three-four-three, uh, in fact, against Man United in the FA Cup recently. But in a in a back four, Gozens would have to defend a lot and. And I don't think I've seen enough of defensive traits in him to say that he can't get exposed like Marcos Alonso was when he uh, played for Chelsea uh, after Antonio Conte left Chelsea and uh, the others, Sari came in and then Lampard came in and then uh, they shifted to more of a back four and then Alonso used, I think Alonso still gets a lot of criticism for from Premier League fans and Chelsea fans because he can't defend and they feel that he's more of a wing-back than a left-back and I think the same could be the case for Gozens, although I think he's much more better in an athletic sense and he, uh, I think he's got more of that strength in him that Alonso has because uh, Alonso, I thought, Alonso, I think he just falls short when it comes to reading the game well and getting back at the right time. He makes a lot of defensive howlers and Chelsea fans absolutely hate him for it. But I think there is a chance that Gozens gets exposed like Alonso was after Conte left, but yeah, sort of fair for him in that regard. So I think he sh should rather move to a club where uh, they play in a 
3-4-3 or 3-4-1-2 shape more often than Chelsea do. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's certainly going to be interesting with Gossens if he were to move because there's a lot of talk that a lot of Atalanta players, when they do move on, perhaps don't hit the same heights again because of how sort of unique that Atalanta system is and it's so attacking. Uh, you know, we've seen the likes of Roberto Gagliardini not really do too well at Inter. Frank Kessier took a long time. He's finally starting to produce at Milan, but it's taken him a long time to do that. So we'll see how that uh, transfer rumour progresses. Final one. Uh, this one's sort of quite new. Um, Ndombele, obviously, he's had a bit of a nightmare first season at Spurs in terms of can't really get into the team much. Talk that he doesn't get on with Mourinho that well. Um, do you think there's any truth in him perhaps moving on to Inter, Alistair? Or do you think he's more likely to go elsewhere or stay at Spurs for another year? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not really a move that would make an awful lot of sense to me, to be honest, for anyone. Um, because... I, th- I believe he was Spurs' record signing last summer when he came in. Yep. Um, clearly hasn't met the expectations. Um, also, I believe his his uh, relationship with Mourinho isn't good. But um, beyond that, I mean, I'm not really sure, given the likely expense of getting him in, why Inter feel like that's that's the kind of player they should be targeting. And then... When I've read some of these reports, I've talked about potentially swapping Milan Skriniar and Marcel Brozovic as, as part of an effort to get him in. That just makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Um, I think that Inter are pretty strong in that part of the pitch, to be honest. Obviously, they're wanting to get in uh, more of a ball-winning mid- midfielder by the sounds of things. But, um, but yeah, I think that other areas, particularly the wing-backs, should be the, the priority for them. Um Defenders are more suited to playing in a back three, perhaps, than the guys they've already got. But I, 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 I don't know. I would be surprised. Let's put it that way. If if this one had legs, yeah, I, I was a bit surprised when I saw it as well. Um, I know Milan Skriniar has had a bit of a tough season. Seems to not really suit playing in a back three that much. But yeah, I, I think Brozovic has actually played quite well for into this season. He's been a main, mainstay in that midfield. When you also factor in, they have Nicolo Barella, Stefano Sensi, Christian Eriksen. Um, you know, they have quite a few, and they're, they're linked with Sandro Tonali very heavily as well. They have quite a few options in that midfield. So Ndombele would be a, a bit of a shock move, but we'll see if that does have any legs in it, as you say. OK, well, that concludes the episode for tonight. Um, thank you very much, guys, for joining me. And um, please tune in again next week, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.